Welcome to Health Chat, a podcast for your health and about your health. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Friedman. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and cognitive behavioral therapist. And as always, my darling co-host, Alyssa Handler, board certified, board certified internal medicine. Um, we should actually say welcome back to Health Chat. That's true, because this is our first episode since the pandemic. Right, and I think we took about a two-year hiatus. It may even be more than that. Yeah, That's more true. than two-year yeah. hiatus. There's been a lot of other distractions. Yeah, I mean, especially in your line of work. Yes. I would say. So, And I also started a new practice. So That's uh, right. that has been... Good. Uh, busy. So, busy. Very um, busy. Yeah. But we did want to talk about our new subject. Which well, before is, you start yep, on that, okay, I want to say because um, I wanted to tell everybody that this happened since our last episode that um, we won the 2021 Hometown Media Awards for best podcast in the whole entire country. Our episode on migraines won. Uh, that award and we wanted everybody to know so we wanted to thank everybody for listening and if you missed the episode on migraines you can see it on um, the BevCam podcast channel and you can see it you can hear it on the BevCam podcast channel and also on SoundCloud so uh, go check that out Um, but today we're going to talk about some subject that's extremely important and if you listen to what we have to say today and you take some care um, you can prevent yourself from having colon cancer so today's subject is about colon cancer Um, and it's it's interesting you know a lot of people put their screenings on hold because of the pandemic and I was spending a lot of time uh, convincing people that we needed to, now that we're back to our new normal, that we need to refocus ourselves on moving forward with preventative care guidelines. And some of these guidelines have actually changed in the past couple years, and you know, since we were focused on it. And because preventative care screening was on hold, especially with our current access to colonoscopies were shut down because of the pandemic they weren't doing routine screenings for a while and so that backed everything up and because the guidelines changed and we're going to talk about that that there are more people who are actually candidates for their first screening because of the lower age group now which i'm going to get into when we answer questions Um, there is um, a huge backlog and in our area i don't know if that's true also in other parts of the country that um, there is a wait time to get these things done. So as primary care doctors, I'm spending a lot of time uh, doing more work on this, and I wanted to share that information with everybody today. And we appreciate that so much because it's such an important issue. And I think, to your point, that if it's backed up in Massachusetts, we can sort of say with confidence at other places around the country that it may even be worse than what it is here. Because we're, we're pretty good here in Massachusetts. So. That's correct, I'm sure. So as we always start our subjects, we always like to define what it is we're actually talking about. And um, I always try to define this subject and so that we're all on the same page to start with. 
to say what exactly is colon cancer? What is it that we're actually talking about? Um, so I guess the first question that you might ask yeah, me, what is, is, what is colon cancer? What is colon cancer? Like, what is, what is a polyp? Like, what does that mean? Um, so c- cancer in general is not something that just happens out of the blue. Cancer, uh, from a, from, in terms of colon cancer usually starts as a polyp, which is a growth or an adenoma. Um, on the lining of the bowel. And we're talking specifically about the large bowel. So there's small bowel, which is the part of the bowel that extends from your stomach to your large bowel. We're not focused on that. We're focused on the large bowel, which is the um, colon, and the rectum, which is the outer portion of your of your large bowel. So we're talking about uh, prevention of colon cancer in the large bowel and the and the rectum. So that's called colorectal cancer. Mm. Um, it usually starts as a precancerous precancerous growth in an adenoma, which is a growth on the lining of the bowel, and it turns into it goes through a process of transformation, which we call dysplasia or precancer over five to ten years. So cancer just doesn't happen spontaneously; it happens as a process extending from uh, a normal growth to a precancerous growth to a high, highly suspicious growth called a high-grade dysplasia to actual cancer in situ, which is cancer on the surface of the polyp, to actually invasive cancer where it's actually invading down into the tissue. And that, so we want to capture these things way before they become cancer or pre- even precancer. So we want to try to remove those polyps before they turn into cancer. And so so we're trying to do something five or 10 years ahead of time. Um, and for this purpose of this talk, we're talking more about people who had, are at average risk or regular population risk of people have, getting colon cancer, not those people who are genetically, like have genetic syndromes that have multiple polyp syndromes. Those are in a different category of, oh, okay. of high-risk screening. Mm-hmm. Or people with inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, like those people are in a different category than what I'm talking about right now, which is just the general screening guidelines. There are people that are at higher risk of um, of colon cancer, and I'll get into those risk factors when we talk about what are the uh, risk factors for colon cancer. So, you know, we talked about this as one of the most preventative diseases, cancers that there is out there because we have really good screening methods. And of course, I'm, you know, people think about the screening method as a colonoscopy, but you know, what really is a colonoscopy? Okay. Um, So that's a good question. Uh, So what is a colonoscopy? A colonoscopy is usually done by a specialist where they use a fiber um, scope, a scope with fiber optics, which is like a tube with a camera at the end. The tube is about the size of my index finger, um, and the length can be um, a couple feet to several feet, depending on uh, what type of equipment someone's using. Um, and they pass that scope through the your bottom, your rectum, and they pass it, and they kind of can use... Um, the it's like a twisty scope and it's like kind of driving a car almost like and it can um, turn 
do little turns and this one um, is a steering wheel it's like it's like yeah it's like a steering wheel and there's little um is it like robotic yeah in the well the remote pers- control kind of well the um the, the person doing the actual procedure which is usually a gastroenterologist not usually not always it can be a general surgeon but to say the person the tech person actually doing the procedure is using this equipment um, with controls to guide um, carefully using a video so it's kind of like a funny video game that they're you know but very controlled um, so they can see where they're going by passing that scope slowly up through the the large bowel and it's several several feet and they can wind their way through the bowel and um, see with it's it's there's light so you can see inside and also they can pass tools through the scope to actually um, remove things they're seeing inside, usually polyps, and pull them out through the scope and put them uh, in a you know to the lab and, and test them and see if they're cancerous. So it usually takes about 20 minutes. Um, the preparation for the procedure is much longer than the actual procedure. Um, people are under sedation. We call it conscious sedation, meaning um, it's not general right. anesthesia, meaning you don't you're not you don't have a tube in your throat. You basically are given some intravenous medicine to help you um, fall asleep um, and relax yourself. And also part of the medicine gives you amnesia. So you actually don't remember the event either. So, but you're not completely under anesthesia the way it is for a, a surgery. And so it is um, safer and you're only under for maybe 20 minutes. Um, so um, in a lot of the medicine they use specifically uh, the newer version, like propofol, is right. is an on-off thing, meaning when um, it's very short-acting anesthesia, so you basically fall asleep when they turn it on, and then they turn it off when you wake up. So, um, so there's that part. Um, and also when they're inflating the bowel so that they can see where they're going, they used to use... Um, I think that they also change the type of gas that they're using so that the gas they're using now is is much more uh, short acting so you don't feel as gassy after. I can <laughs> yeah. say from specifically I when I went through this procedure last or two falls ago, um, they had recently changed the type of gas so that there is zero discomfort after the procedure. So the only um, part of it that's uncomfortable is actually the prep part. Yes. This is the part everyone talks about is right. the part that cleans you out. So, and there's different versions of this and depending on um, each specialist, you know, their what they like to use, there's usually a standard prep that they use. Um, and when you're drinking this prep, it can, it can uh, cause some side effects like nausea and vomiting and um, you kind of have to go very slowly. It's one night out of your life to be near a bathroom is what I tell people. <laughs> and if you can get, get through it, then um, then you're fine. The actual procedure is really not a big deal. It's really the prep part that right. it, people dislike, and I myself dislike that. But there are, other, there are tips that I tell people that can help them tolerate the prep better. Um, also, if you um, modify your diet days ahead of time um, and eat uh, fewer high fiber things for a f- like several days instead of just the one day that they tell you. Oh, okay. It will be much easier to clean yourself out and you don't have to drink as much of the prep, which is the hardest part. Yeah. So once you um, start 
passing clear liquid. You don't need to continue. That means you're clear. And, and it's not always one size fits all. I mean, they'll give you a whole gallon to drink and not everyone needs the whole gallon to clean themselves out. So you just need to watch that and see what it is that you actually need to, to clean out. So, so I always give my patients and friends those tips. So I actually, when I did it, um, now I'm almost approaching 10 years because I did it pre the age that I had to do it um, because I was having some symptoms, but it's been almost 10 years. And when I did it, they didn't give me a prep. They gave me some uh, laxatives and told me to drink lots of Gatorade and broth. So I didn't actually have a, a prep that I had to do so I could just drink Gatorade just to keep myself hydrated. But even even after it was clear, <laughs> you know, so I guess different different doctors like uh, different um, kinds of prep, I guess. Yeah. But most of the specialists will recommend something like a Miralax prep, something where it actually uh, makes you uh clean yourself out it's it's um a little more aggressive and mm -hmm. um but there but if you go slowly with it and also modify your diet like i said several yeah. days ahead of time that's great advice, there's yeah. less backed up in there um and it's much easier to go through the procedure oh well very very good advice and that kind of dispels kind of the myth i mean it's not really that bad it's, so it's, it's worse bad. than the procedure itself but it's actually not that bad i mean yeah. it's as long and as you're at home Right, and it's just, you just have to be um, careful and just watch your diet. And mm -hmm. it's, if you, and then if you are nauseated with it, there are medicines that can be given, that anti-nausea medicine to help you tolerate the prep. So once you can get through the prep day, no big deal. The actual procedure is very safe. Um, in mm. people who are under 80, let's say, there's very low risk of any perforation. Uh, people are always worried about that. Like, oh, I heard my friend like, or somebody in the family perforated and they ended up in the hospital. That is so rare. I, uh, of the 20 plus years that I've been practicing medicine, I've yet to have a patient uh, have that happen to them. Mm. And there's you know thousands of procedures being done all the time. Um, so it's very rare. Um, we always figure out the risk of the procedure if we're, uh, most of us won't refer a patient for a colonoscopy if the risk of that procedure is too great. Um, and so we're always thinking about that, but the risk of the procedure is very, is very, very low. And the risk of not screening someone is usually higher. Like I said, we do worry about uh, polyps that aren't being removed and that kind of gets into the other screening modalities that we can talk about and talk about their efficacy. Well, let's let's talk about who out there needs to be screened and when. Okay, awesome. So, <laughs> um, so we were talking. So to to back up a little bit um, to mm -hmm. say like, you know, what how common is colon cancer? And interestingly, it's the third most common cancer in males, and it's the second most common in wow, females. Wow, I didn't know that. Amazing. So when we say common, you know, common doesn't necessarily mean the most deadly. Uh, the most mm. deadly cancer is actually lung cancer, second colon, then breast. Um, so e even though breast cancer is more common in women, it is not the most deadly. Oh, okay, okay yeah. Um, so once somebody gets colon cancer, it's usually more deadly than what you would what you would think. So we're trying to prevent that from happening. 
There is 150,000 new cases of large bowel cancer in the U.S., and more than 50,000 will die of colorectal cancer, which is 8% of all cancer deaths. Um, in, um, it's 25% higher, more, more common in males. There's, there's also 20% higher in African-Americans. Hmm. Um, and so we do, uh, talk, we'll talk about risk factors um, going along with this. One of the interesting things that we're, that's being noticed is that the colorectal incidence rates have been declining, had been declining 2% a year, but the rate slowed to 1% per year more recently, 2013 to 2017. Oh. The, um, and it was, in general, it's uncommon in people under age 40, but there is an increased rate, there's been an increased rate in people 40 to 50 years old, and it goes up in each decade after. Um, so age is the most highest risk factor for sporadic colorectal cancer, meaning not genetic. Um, but again, this, we're noticing that there's an increased rate in that 40 to 50-year-old age group uh, compared to prior decades. Hmm. So do that, they have an that's idea why? concerning. Yeah, do they have an idea of why that might be the case? I actually, I don't know the answer to yeah. that. Um, I think there's a lot of hypotheses mm -hmm. about it. It may be related to obesity. Obesity mm. is a higher risk for, and of course, more people are becoming obese in uh -huh, the U.S., so, so yeah. that could be part of this, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't entirely uh, explained to me on, on the research that I did, but that would be my hypothesis. Very interesting. Very interesting. So as far as I know, because the first thing I heard of it was that when you are 50, you get your first um, screening, but that's changed now, hasn't it? It has. Um, and so I was going to talk about the um, this, the standards that have changed. Mm -hmm. Before we get there, I wanted to talk about the other risk factors that oh, okay. talk about for early onset colon cancer. Um, so if you have a first degree relative, which is a parent or a sibling with colorectal cancer, that's increased risk. If you have high cholesterol, obesity, which I mentioned, right. diabetes, if you've had a renal, a kidney transplant, mm. if you mm. have uh, what's called acromegaly, which is increased um, uh, growth hormone, which is very, uh, it's uncommon, but it was in there as an increased risk factor, which I didn't know. Yeah. Um, it's controversial that red meat and processed meat cause, that is also increased risk. That's about controversial, but that was listed. Another thing that's my favorite thing to talk about, alcohol. Of course. Alcohol is considered, if you're drinking two to three drinks per day and greater than four a day, that increased risk for, increases risk, but not for one drink a day. And the reason why is because it interferes with folate absorption. Oh. So folate is folic acid. That's found in green, like greens. That's um, leafy it's a greens, vitamin. they call it. Yeah, yeah, leafy greens. As a nutritional person, yes. you probably know yes. about that. Yes. Um, and so we, I do generally recommend people eating their greens and uh, limiting alcohol. So that's always part. Also, tobacco use. Um, mm. Being African-American, 20% higher risk of colon cancer. It's unknown if this is biologic or due to lower rates of access to screening. Hmm. Another thing is use of androgen deprivation therapy. People on treatment for prostate cancer, they're actually at increased risk. Oh, I see. So other than those increased risk factors, which um, 
which I believe then you would start screening those people at 45 and up. So those are the increased risk people. Then general risk for American Cancer Society, since 2018, they want us to start at 45. Since 2021, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, which is where a lot of these guidelines come up, they they um, they aver- they announce what their general screening guidelines are for primary care. They also say start at 45. Other groups like Family Medicine Group, there are some other groups that come up with their guidelines. They have not changed their guideline to start for average risk um, below age 50. So there's a there's a little bit of controversy about it, but mm. you know me, there's more than there's more than one guideline. But for for the major people putting out guidelines to primary care, which is the American Cancer Society and the U.S. Preventative Task Force, Task Force, they both want us to start for average risk people 45 and up. And of course, if you have risk factors, it's it's 45. It could be earlier um, if someone in the family had. Uh, we usually say starting 10 years before the first affected family member had that disease. Um, and so if someone had colon cancer at 40, like their their uncle or someone, they, they might need one starting like at 30 or, or so. Um, so, but we are talking more about the general guidelines. Yeah, so um, that's that's very interesting. I mean, I would think that this is a little bit of an aside, but a very important point that um, these guidelines are extremely important because that will say whether or not your insurance is going to pay for the procedure yes. as a preventative procedure versus as a quote unquote elect- elective procedure. Right. And so I believe um, that that all the insurance companies will cover um, now starting at 45. So that that did Good. change so that mm-hmm. they are should be following these guidelines. So Excellent. That should be the case. I have not run into a problem with that, but time will tell. Okay, so, um, you know, we talked about the procedure itself, but let's say they find something. So then what happens? So depending on the type of polyp that's found, then there's guidelines from there. So say you have zero polyps. Now you have a totally clean bowel Mm -hmm. with no family history, no risk factors. Then you would go every 10 years. But if you have a family history of things or they find several polyps, then you would probably go five years. If they find several polyps, like three or more polyps, I believe, um, going by memory, and I always have to look that up, but the GI guys know and they'll tell us when the next procedure should be done. If they find three or more or so polyps, then it could be three years. If they find a high-grade, dyspla- you know, very abnormal polyp, it could be one year. Um, also, if they remove something that looks bad, they might want you to come back sooner to make sure they got all of it. So depending on what is found, that dictates what your next time frame should be. But you're always told that, once you're seen and once they have the information, sometimes they need the also the um, biopsy report that can take a week or so. But we'll know eventually what the next time frame should be. Um, but sometimes it's sooner if you have a change in your symptoms, if you're, a new risk factor comes up, then certainly that needs to be looked at again. Okay, well that's that's very interesting. Now my my question too is, 
are polyps the only thing that they're looking for? Are there other kinds of lesions or something that could be suspicious? Uh, well, if hopefully it's not cancer already, right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, sometimes there's um, inflammation. Oh. Uh, there, if say someone is having bowel symptoms and there's there's blood in the stool, like there could be inflammation, so it could be an inflammatory problem. So usually they're doing biopsies. Um, other syndromes like bacterial overgrowth, mm. um, microscopic colitis or colitis. So these are all different processes in the bowel. But most of the time we're doing these just general screening procedures to look for cancer or look but the for polyps, polyps look it, for which polyps. really is like prevention of the of the cancer. Right. Because those are the things that become cancerous. They're, yeah. They're like tumors, but they're, they don't start out. Right, as cancer. trying to remove the tumors. Now, yeah. there's different kinds of polyps, too. There's other types of polyps that are not precancerous called hyperplastic. Um, so if you have hyperplastic polyps, those are not considered to be precancerous, and and you may end up not having to go back every five years for those. Those could just be a 10-year screening. So it's benign, and benign. nothing really needs to be done. Yeah, if you have no other risk factors and you just have hyperplastic polyps, which is just not an adenoma, we're talking specifically about removing adenomas that are precancerous in terms of the guidelines. And then, like I said, your specialist who does the procedure will know, could they see everything? Was it a good prep? Uh, sometimes right. they need a two-day prep or if they couldn't see. Um, so you know, usually our screeners here are very good and they're going to capture most things they need to see. If they couldn't see what they need to see, they'll say that in their report. And uh, most of our screeners are doing uh, the, there's a time frame, like I, if they withdraw the scope too quickly, they could miss polyps. Most of our, I haven't heard of a screener here in, our, in the Northeast region that's not doing an appropriate colonoscopy. So they are seeing what they need to see, the time frame determined by what they can see and what they see while they're there. So one of the questions could, you know, you might ask, well, what can we do to prevent colon cancer? Like what? Instead of just reacting to things, what can we do right. as a prevention? So as a primary care doctor, I'm usually talking about how to prevent disease. And some of the things that are proven to prevent colon cancer, one is exercise. Two is in having your fiber and fruits and veggies, including greens, like what I talked about before with the folic acid, that's a green vegetable. Uh, calcium and dairy. Uh, there's a little controversy about that, but it was listed as something to make sure you have dairy. That's preventative. Preventative. Oh. Preventative. Huh. And limiting alcohol, mm. uh, like we talked about, and avoiding smoking. And so those are the things that so are So the great thing about that list is that that keeps you healthy in general, <laughs> right. right? And it's so it prevents a lot of things. Right. We're yeah. talking about more than just colon cancer. Right. But it's good to just recognize that yeah, yeah. that healthy lifestyle right. is very important. And also keeping your weight normal is not listed on those prevention strategies, but one of the things that increase the risk of colon cancer is obesity. Right. So not becoming obese also is good for not um, getting colon cancer. So eat your veggies, get good fiber, you know, uh, eat your fruits, exercise. I always love to hear that as you know, um, even small amounts of exercise can be really helpful. 
in yes, preventing. Yes, for lots of things. And, for lots of things, And it's yeah. interesting that, that high cholesterol was also listed as a risk factor. And so, therefore, if you're eating healthy things and exercising and not getting um, obese, then theoretically, unless you have a genetic syndrome, uh, your cholesterol should be good. So, and so, in essence, we're talking about lots of things that are uh, preventing these risk factors for early onset colon cancer. Well, that's really great. And, and what's really important to know is that if you do get screened um, regularly and when you're supposed to start, which now is 45 basically for everyone, start at 45, that the risk of getting colon cancer is very small. Yes. As long as you maintain your preventative <laughs> uh, screening, yes. it's preventative. Now, okay, we think of, of colon colonoscopy as the screening tool, but you know, I've seen that <laughs> commercial about the Cologuard, and uh, yeah, I won't even say what my kids and I <laughs> say when that commercial comes on. But um, are those really effective tools, and and how are they used? Okay, so I'm so glad you you asked that question about Cologuard because I get asked that all the time. Well, I don't want a colonoscopy. What about Cologuard? So I have some statistics in front of me about the efficacy of using Cologuard versus other screening tests. And I just wanted to, to go over those and, and discuss why someone would or wouldn't want to, to do that. So um, just in general, I was talking about the polyps and you know that these can turn into cancer. And so what my first thing is, what I tell my patients is, well, if even if you do a Cologuard test, it's not going to actually remove that polyp that's there. If if there is a polyp, good okay, point. Yeah. If, if they if um and it's not going to detect it a hundred percent. Um, and so I just wanted to go over the stats. So if you have a really tiny polyp, under five millimeters, that seventy five percent of the time it's going to be detected by colonoscopy. Um, so for colonoscopy that tiny polyp, 75%. If you do Cologuard, that tiny polyp, only 17.2%. Oh, okay? yeah. If you have a polyp that's six to nine millimeters, which is just under a centimeter, 85% will be detected by a colonoscopy. And it's only going to be, again, 17.7% um, 17 or so by okay. the Cologuard. Okay. If you have a polyp that is over a centimeter, which means the likelihood of cancer in that does go up as it gets bigger, right? Because it's growing. Ninety-five percent of the time, that's going to be detected by a colonoscopy. Well, with a Cologuard, only forty-two percent. Okay, so that means half the time, more than half the time, that you're going to on a Cologuard test only, you're going to miss, you're going to miss it. Okay, and then there's that your insurance company only pays for it every three years. This is actually a yearly because when they do the study, they study this on a yearly basis. So, wow. So that means you're missing oh, a it's even potential lower. cancer it's even lower more than half the time by Cologuard. Wow, it's not okay. going to be covered by insurance every year. And size matters here. So if you have, uh, so if you do a colonoscopy, ninety-five uh, percent of the time it's going to detect your cancer. By Cologuard, 92% of the time. But if it's you already too, have cancer. It's kind of too late at that if point. If you already yeah. have cancer, again, that, so it's slightly lower, but you already have the cancer, yeah. means you miss that opportunity, which means that it's probably already entered into your 
um, into lining, the lining of yeah. your bowel, and then the, of course gets into the efficacy of the treatments, which goes down the the, the more invades into the the bowel itself. So we really, I'm really talking about moving people. Of course, if there's nothing else you can do, and people can, you know, if they're too old or too fragile to go through a colonoscopy, you just want to make sure that nothing's going on, kind of thing. Um, then it might be useful to, you know, we do the Cologuard just to basically reassure ourselves we're doing okay. There's also something else called the FIT test, the fecal immunochemical test, which I do oh. a lot of. In fact, I was doing a lot of these when I didn't have access to colonoscopy. Oh. And um, the statistics for those, this is just a, an at-home stool test. It's basically you just take a stool sample and put it in a little tube and mail it in. And you want to do that within five days. If it sits around, the efficacy um, detection rate goes down. Um, so I did want to mention that. But these are useful things to screen for actual blood detection, hemoglobin detected in, in a stool sample, which means something is already bleeding there, like a polyp or a cancer. Yeah. For those, for the teeny ones, for the little polyps, it will detect it only 7.6% of the time. For that middle large polyp, uh, or larger polyp, 23 to 73% of the time, or sorry, 23% of the time. Um, and if you actually have cancer, it's only detecting it 73% of the time, which Yikes. means you're going to miss almost 40% of Ooh, cancer. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. So so those you can do every single year or, or even more frequently. If I'm really worried about someone, then I would do it more frequently to see if something's going on. But um, really, the, the gold standard that we're talking about is moving people towards doing their colonoscopy. And I just stated the statistics, the statistics that really back up what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer to me. And, and it's really not a big deal. And it's, you know, um, everybody basically does it once they get to a certain age, you know. And, and so many... Millions and millions of people have done it. Million and you know, there's been millions of colonoscopies done, and uh, it's really the best tool we have. It sounds like, and yeah, um, and like I said, in our region here in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. we have excellent screeners. Yeah. They're all well trained. The risk is very low. Um, the endoscopy suite at our local hospital hospital is excellent. Um, they make you extremely comfortable. I can talk from personal experience. Yep. The actual procedure is really painless, um, mm -hmm. and you don't remember it. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think I even had any of those because I did mine before the new gas, and I don't think I had any discomfort at all. Yeah, and then the post, and then post op, uh, the post yeah. procedure. Also, I w had no side effects right, from the exactly, actual procedure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a bonus since they changed the type of gas they're using. I believe yeah. they changed from CO2 to O2, but don't quote me on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Meaning carbon dioxide right. to oxygen um, ins right. insufflation is what they call that. So um, people, because I believe that's true that um, whatever type of gas they're using would used to stay inside the bowel kind of bloat yeah would bloat you up that mm -hmm. was the most uncomfortable thing yeah until you pass that gas right. which can be really embarrassing yeah. after <laughs> but um but this time and i think in the past two years they changed the type of gas to insufflate and so now a lot of the side effects from the actual procedure have also dissipated wow so it's even less uncomfortable that's like Correct. a double negative it's even more comfortable than it used to be and it wasn't bad before so right 
which reminds me I'm going to be due, I think, next year. So I'm going to make my appointment or talk to my doctor about it. Yeah, right so away. get on the list. Yeah, yeah, get on the list and and uh, or talk I, to your doctor about you know, so if there's a delay, um, like I said, you might want to do something sooner, like a fit test or a Cologuard if there's an access issue. Otherwise, um, we are getting caught up with our screening and you won't wait as long as we used to uh, to get the screening done. And, and really, like I said, the gold standard is to just get the colonoscopy done. Yeah, unless there's some barrier to it, just get the colonoscopy yeah. done. All right, well, Dr. Handler, this is like, so amazing right because we haven't done this <laughs> yay, yay. We're so, this is really exciting and and uh you know i want to just thank everybody for listening and hanging in there and so if you have any suggestions of topics you'd like to hear about or of course if you have questions or comment about this podcast you know please reach out to us at health chat at it's i think it's andy at, at uh or it's health chat at gmail.com and we also have a Facebook page, so uh, check that out. It's Health Chat. And um, I want to thank everybody for listening. I'm so excited that we're, you, we're back. Thank you, This Yay. is so much fun. This it's is so, so much great fun. great to be in person again. Oh, and it's so good to see you yeah, right here. <laughs> yeah. So, and we're planning to do more. And I yes. think we're looking for some feedback from our listeners yes. about potential topics or questions they may have that when yes. maybe potential visitors that I can invite. I've had some yes. guest speakers yes. in the community that are happy to share their um, their education and their thoughts with us and and we'll just run the show. Yes. So thank you for listening and thank you, Andy. Thank you.